Blog Talk Radio. Executive 
once said the key to winning is you beat the brains out of the bums and you split with the contenders. Well, Chelsea are doing it in reverse. We've seen bad losses in the last couple weeks to Crystal Palace and Sunderland, and they barely managed to get a win against uh, Swansea City playing up a man for over an hour. Yet, against the other three top teams, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, five wins and a draw. So it's rather funny here. They, They stumbled against... The teams fighting at the bottom of the league, but they've been masters over their competition at the top. Well, I mean, you know, we did a we did a previous show on the last incarnation of this, and I don't think any of us would, could have predicted what the end of this year has proved for the EPL. I mean, oh no. Let's think of it this way. I mean, we we did expect David Moyes to struggle a little bit. We we. I never expected you guys to be as far down as possible. Now, I, I'm tickled that it's happening because it, it's really exposing it's really exposing the mainstream media and the fans for what it really is. Because I've, I've always thought about maybe 30% of actual soccer fans aren't really fans. They're just, they're just running, running to the shiny thing that they find and yeah. aren't, actually, oh, yeah. aren't actually looking at the the history of it. Now, I should I should be that tip. I should be that shiny person. I mean, I'm in my 30s. I'm ADD. I should go for oh, man, United, shiny, happy thing. But you know, was I mad that that happened at um, Chelsea? Yeah, of course. But I didn't expect Liverpool to be in first place at any point this year because it's still a thin squad, and let's be honest, as, as great as Steven Gerrard is, he's slipping as a player right now, so he's bound to every once in a while. Yeah, he's bound to every once in a while fall flat on his back. Of all the ways that you would think of for Liverpool to lose a match, believe me, that is below last on my list for Steven Gerrard to A, make a, make a well, I shouldn't say brutal touch because he didn't touch the ball. When he went to touch the ball, when he got the pass from the wing, he didn't even touch it at all and then the slip and fall. I, there is no way you could, you, you, I, there is no way anybody could have figured that would have happened. Uh, you certainly, we talked about Liverpool at the beginning of, the sh- of the, that previous show you mentioned as, as contenders. I, I had said, I had said even at the end of last season that they would finish top four this coming season. I didn't predict them to win the league, but I figured they finished top four and they're going to do that. And while you know Gerard may be taking uh, you know a half step backward as a player, certainly he's he's certainly as a really good position where he's not going to get any better necessarily. And certainly you have to think, you know, depending on what goes on with Liverpool this summer in the transfer market, that you might see his role you know, reduced a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, he's, he's still going to be uh, the man to lead that team when things get tough, just like for the most part until this past season, it was Ryan Giggs at Manchester United. Now you know, Ryan Giggs is leading a different way, and we'll get to that later. But, well, uh, well, Keith, yeah, here's, no, the, thing, here's the thing I'm scared of. Here's the thing I'm scared of. What, what happens if Liverpool actually does win the title? Gerard might just say, you know what, screw it, I'm done. Because I suppose the possibility... 
He's got everything. And there's no way he's, he's going to play for anybody he, else either. Yeah, he's still got every. He's got that would give him every medal because he's got everything yeah. else except for except yeah, he's for got the FA Cup, um, he's got the Champions League, the whole bit. Yeah, it's the only thing he's missing. You're right. Yeah, and I, and I mean he's possible. And with him slipping this year, I would have just said because I mean he's different without Jimmy Carragher. I mean, it, it's like he's lost his Batman, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pull it off and win this year that he just says done because there's a lot of talk around Liverpool camp that he's going to say that to the um, national team anyway, that he's done, that he, he just, he wants to move on with the next part of his life. And the surprisingly, the next part of his life is he probably within five to 10 years will be the Liverpool manager. He has bluntly said that. I can, I can see him. I can see him wanting that. I really can. And, if he were, if he, if what you're saying is true about this, the, the, here's a, here's a rare athlete who knows when it's time. Too many of them don't know. You know, you know Brett Favre is just the latest example. And I, and I, the one, the line I remember vividly is Jim Brown in his book Out of Bounds. He said, he said, when people begin to wonder whether or not you stay too long, you stay too long. Yeah. And if he, if Gerard were to stay another year. I think you might start hearing that talk, um, especially since the, obviously there's going to be big, there'll be big pressure on Liverpool to repeat what they did this year, uh, to, uh, you know, to win the league again, certainly to do well in the Champions League as well, uh, a, a competition which they have flourished in in the past but haven't been to for a while because that's going to make this that's going to make things really interesting for Liverpool next year. Even, whether or not they win the title, next year you've got that added burden of playing Champions League football. And, and, don't, and don't tell me uh, that, it's, that it doesn't make a difference. It does. Uh, you, you, those, when you've got to play those you know, Tuesday or Wednesday and then the following Saturday or Saturday and the following Tuesday, it, it's not easy. It, it, it's, you've got, obviously, Liverpool is a club that has a deep enough squad that can handle that. But it, it is going to be it, it's going to be something most of these play, a lot of these players have not gone through. Certainly, Brendan Rodgers has not gone through it, and we saw what happened with Manchester City after they won the title their first year year in the European Cup. They went down in flames in the first stage. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm not suggesting that will happen to Liverpool. I think I think Liverpool can get at least get out of the group stage in the Champions League next year. But it, it, again, it's a it's a different it's a different mentality, it's a different mindset, it's different in terms of demands on the squad as well as the manager. Well, well you're forgetting you keep forgetting one thing with Brandon Rogers is that he was, he was on he was on Chelsea's staff during while Mourinho was there the first time. So it's not like he's well, not a the charge. It's not the same thing, especially when you're working for well, a guy like Mourinho. Well, true. It's not the same thing. Also, you, the other thing you've got to realize is that the the next depth of Liverpool is not older players. It's the academy. It's True. Jordan eBay. Yeah. It's Max Pelosi. It's the next group. He needs at least – he needs to bring Barini back right away and get another two strikers up top because inevitably what's going to happen is that Suarez or Sturridge are going to get injured 
or Suarez is gonna or Suarez is gonna bite someone. I mean, he's he's yeah, well, for lo- <laughs> losing his mind. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that, that, fun- and, that, and that's another thing that makes me wonder about Liverpool next year with the demand of hope. They're gonna. You're right. They're going to have to blood some younger players. Uh, the academy, no question. They have the players. They have the talent. There's no question about that whatsoever. The it's just a question of you know, remember even with Rodgers at Chelsea you didn't have these kind of young players the players they had at Chelsea were a lot more experienced for the most part you weren't bringing in a lot of young guys so again you learning from Jose Mourinho not the worst thing in the world uh, this is the Yellow Card podcast here on Block Talk Radio Stephen Brand joining me Keith Kilkin and we also I believe bring in Ryan Sealock at this time Ryan is that you no no it's Matt Hoffman Matt Hoffman okay what's going on all right. Shiny, shiny Chelsea. They're so shiny. Everyone should go cheer for them. Yay, Chelsea. Shiny. Yeah, yeah I had the last so one. I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said something about the, the great uh, history of Chelsea, and I'm like, will you please explain me what, Ch- what history Chelsea had before Roman Abramovich showed up? It, it, wasn't exa- you know, it wasn't exactly Manchester United Escar or Liverpool S by any stretch of the imagination. History started in 2003. Yeah, pretty much. Now, you I, guys I remember another Euro- Euro- you guys have yeah. another European title. Now, now I believe we have uh, uh, have uh, Russ Goldman on the line. Am I right, Russ? I am with you. Yes, Hello, Russ. Russ. Glad you could join us. We're good. It was fun. Why do you John jump in? Because we just talked about Chelsea there for a second. The the, one, the 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 reference that I remember as far as Chelsea back in the day before Brown would show up, I remember this coming up on an episode of Are You Being Served? Uh, I'm not sure what was going on, but uh, um, the late Trevor Bannister's uh, character uh, said something to Captain Peacock about Kate Peacock about wanting to get home. Early, so you can watch the Chelsea Fulham replay in the FA Cup that <laughs> night. Back then, you know, you know, the two West ones, and they were rivals certainly back then, but they certainly weren't. Chelsea wasn't what they were. They are these days. Right. Uh, you know, and Fulham, you know, Fulham was probably I don't know. For Fulham were in the top flight back in those days. We're talking like late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. No. But, listen, uh, Fulham. Fulham had their time, and uh, you know, and then obviously had their time when they were they were far down. But uh, listen, ju- just so you guys know, I'm not allowed to say the c word on any show, so I have to call okay. them Miss Clinton, and that's what I'm going to call them from now on. Call call them what I call them, Chelsky. Robert Wallach is Russian, so I would call them Chel. I would call them Chelsky. Uh, well, I, I have the, to be care. I have to be careful because Fulham supporters listen to every show that I'm on, so uh, I I have a fine of one pound every time someone says that you know says, says the c okay. word. So I got to be careful. Okay, for those okay for those of you who are Fulham supporters listening, don't blame Russ. We're the ones who brought it up, not him. He didn't say it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> rest assured, we will not force him to say it. Um, Thank you. Just, what, the, blame well, blame, that, Matt, blame that, Matt Hoffman. I wanted to hit on this one uh, because we, it, it's the the racism issue is reared its ugly head once again on a couple of different fronts, and they're kind of tied together because we've all heard about uh, the Los Angeles. Wait, 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 wait! You just went from blame yeah. Matt Hoffman to you were going into racism. 
<laughs> You're making that sound yeah, no, no, that's the racist is not your fault, Matt. Trust me on this one. It's not your fault. It's just it's just okay, all the same way. I just want to for that thank one. You. Yeah, but it was <laughs> that, that was not that nothing to do with you whatsoever. I, but anyway, but anyway, thank you. The, the one that came it came up in Europe, and obviously it's not getting as much time here in America because partially because of what's happened with Los Angeles. It was Danny Alves of Barcelona uh, playing against Villarreal at the weekend. He went to take a corner kick. And some moron, actually that's being generous, uh, threw a banana at him, which unfortunately is an all too common occurrence in European football. Now Alves' initial reaction was uh, was rather humorous. He actually picked up the banana and, bit, and took a bite from it before taking the corner, which I thought was rather interesting. But he uh, he did receive a lot of uh, Twitter support. Uh, Sergio Aguera, uh, Aguera, David Luiz. Uh, Oscar, William, um, Musa Dembele, Neymar all put up tweets and photos uh, with bananas uh, and we're using the hashtag, we are all monkeys, and it was great to see. But even Danny Alves comment how, you know, this sort of thing happens and something needs to be done. And seeing what happened even just today with the Los Angeles Clippers made me think there's another way to go about this. Obviously, FIFA and UEFA honestly have dragged their feet for far too long on this. They, they, they've, they've dished out some punishments in some cases, but some of, them have, some of them have been fairly stern. Some of them have been laughable. And what we saw yesterday going into today with the Los Angeles Clippers, we saw at least half a dozen, if not more, sponsor the team pull out saying, we're not, we're not supporting you guys anymore if this, guy, if this, if this guy's going to continue on the team. And I think that's where... If fans especially want to see it, and I think I think I honestly believe, and maybe I might be naive in thinking this, I might be too idealistic in thinking this, but I would like to think that most fans don't like seeing this and want to see it stop. And you know, if, if pressure can be brought to bear on these advertisers, who can then in turn put the pressure on the organizations uh, to, to to really take some meaningful action? It, it might be the best way to go because it. It, you know, it ties into the money, and you know, Bob Woodward, uh, I should say, um, the late Mark Felt told Bob Woodward and Watergate, follow the money, because that's the key to it all. These sponsors start saying, hey, you're not getting our money anymore until we clean this up because we don't want to be associated with this kind of stuff. Then you're going to start seeing meaningful action. So, and, it, you know, it's up to fans to start bringing uh, some pressure to bear, as well as players. You know, and I know players are reluctant to say anything. You know, we see it here in America all the time with racial issues most uh, you know, Michael Jordan has received much criticism for his lack of, of, of willingness to take strong stance on racial issues. Tiger Woods the same way. Uh, LeBron James proved to be an exception in that case. He's been more willing to speak out on such things. But, and I know players, you know, they, they, they obviously, players have endorsement deals too. And obviously they, you know, they have to think about those things as well in some cases. But the players are the ones that more than anything else are directed by and affected by this sort of thing. And you know, if players and fans can, can somehow start these things, and that's the great thing about social media is that can happen. If players and fans can continue to do these sort of things like we saw today, and we'll see with the tweets uh, in support of Danny Alves, you know, maybe these sponsors will start getting the message of, hey, the people we depend on for our business, don't like this and we don't want to be associated with that, we better tell these people, hey, something needs to change. And, and as I, I pointed this out before in the show, it, it, and I realized, and I said, I know, I know a governing body of a sport is not like a government. 
I, I, I understand that part. But at the same time, things can be done, steps can be taken, changes can be made. And again, I point to Rangers and Celtic in the old firm. Certainly, I'm not going to sit here and say the sectarianism is gone. Liam Neil Lennon would certainly give me an argument on that. But if you compare today with what went on in the 70s and 80s and briefly in the 90s and what's going on now and what those clubs did to band together to combat that, to try to, to, try to, you know, try to stamp it out and largely do so, it tells me that it can be done if people are actually willing to do something. Uh, they had a major ride at the U17 game between between both um, between Celtic and um, Rangers. I mean, sorry, Sevco. Okay, as I said, I'm not saying it's completely gone. It's never going to be completely yeah. gone as people say. A lot of people think for themselves. But I'm saying it's you compare today to the 70s days, it is a, it's a vast difference. Oh, you no, know, soccer is different. Nowadays, than it was well, heck, even ten years ago. I mean, also we can all, also we very can all we can all agree on that. I mean, it's it's changed significantly. Now, I, I don't get the concept. Now, I have been to I haven't been to as many games as as Russ and Russ and Matt and you have been, but I can't understand actually going to a game and outside of hating your other team because I have complete irrational hatreds of teams. But going but and hating the, the players... That is, not, that is not in the same category. Well, but no, that's not in the same category. But I, I, mean, I, I, come from about, I come from I come from as, about as white as they be, and, I'm not, and I'm, not try, I'm not trying to scan any lines here. I don't get the concept of racism. I really don't. I don't get the concept of doing that in Spain. Now, I know Daniel Elvis said that he's been in Spain for 11 years and laughs at all this and that this is this concept. I mean, what do you hope to gain nowadays by doing something like that? You're going to get banned and thrown in jail for that. Extra Time Radio had Marisa do on, on this afternoon, and he was talking about what he was racially abused when he was playing for Rangers, and they threw, they threw the guy in jail. What do you gain by doing this? I mean, seriously, I mean, maybe I'm being my age and being naive on this, but I don't get the concept of going to a game and yelling anything in front of these, front of these players or throwing anything, throwing nickels, or trying to prove that you're better. Because let, let's be honest, those players, on, if you're trying to say you're better than those players on the field, I, I beg you, I beg you to walk up to Lionel Messi. I mean, I know he can understand English. Walk up and say something like that to him. Now, he's not a confrontational person, but he's not, athletes are night and day better than us, that are us fans. And if you want to go to a game and just yell and scream and do this, and this is across all sports. I mean, I've been to probably a thousand, a thousand games over here in the States, basketball and football. And you hear this all the time, and... I, I don't know, Matt, with you covering games, if you actually hear it at Chivas games, but it's, I don't get this concept of actually going and yelling at the players or yelling at the other fans. I mean, pointless. Why can't we just go to a game, have fun, and walk out, walk out there? I mean, and as we all know, I was tear gassed in, Flor- in Florence, and I, I saw I'm not being naive, but I, I don't get this concept whatsoever. 
Yeah, I'm not one who gets it even. Again, I know I'm I'm of a different generation. You know, I grew up you know in the set in the seventies, you know, in a white neighborhood. I knew I knew some black kids, you know, once I got to like middle school and high school. I have I have some black friends. You know, I have friends of other faiths. I have friends who are gay. I have friends of all kinds of political stripes and everything else you can think of. The the, the, the difference though, and this is another one we've talked about on the show before. The difference is you know, in the stadium as opposed to, you know, some sort of public forum. You know, you know people, you know, I, and I, I'm not sure what the laws are in Europe, or America, but I know, you know, here in America, you know, you know, the concept is you're going to any kind of get you know, whether it's a game, some kind of a concert, whatever. It's, it's a privilege. This is not a right you're dealing with. And you are bound by certain restrictions. You go play a ticket, 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 to the game you went to. Look at the fine print. There's stuff on there telling you you can't do certain things. And there are laws that apply, certainly, uh, in, in some instances. I don't get the concept either. You know, yeah, obviously. I don't want the other team to win. And certainly I'm going to you know, cheer for my team, boo another player if he does something I don't like. But it has nothing. It only has to do the only color that matters is the shirt color. You know, I, I, you know, I said, I don't understand the concept either. It's a different, obviously it's a different mindset. And certainly, you know, we see it here, we see it here in America. Europe, it, it, it's, you know, we it's seen in Europe all the time, and I always have to tell people who think, oh, it's just that stuff doesn't happen in Europe. I have to remind them of things like this that it does, and uh, it's you get like I'm with you, Steve. I don't understand it either. I I can't think that way. I don't think that way. It's it it, it is pointless. Uh, but you know, some people. You, again, you'd have to you'd have to go into stuff that, that Freud is that Freud went into and psychoanalyze people, and I'm not smart enough to do that. Uh, why why people do these sorts of things is, is beyond my level of comprehension. I just know as far as as the games are concerned, it doesn't belong there. And okay, I so think that well, let's talk about what we, what we do know is uh, but let's just uh, can we get. Let's talk about the relegation battle here, okay? I mean, can we agree that okay. North is out? North is out. They're done, right? Sick of working them. They're gone. I mean, do I'm we not sure about that. They okay. probably are. They probably are going down if they're not officially down. And then Cardiff. They're probably going down, right? Yeah, Cardiff most likely, too, yes. Okay. Yeah, Newcastle, so, Newcastle are safe. Yeah, Newcastle are safe. And uh, now yeah, they're playing and Sunderland. Oh, Sunderland about that too. And Villa's in danger, yep. and Fulham's in danger. So let's just say, for sake of argument, okay, say uh, Cardiff's out. They're done. Norwich is done. They're, put a fork in. They're done. Which of the three, Villa, Fulham, and Sunderland, which which of the three is not going to make it? Do you, do you guys want Mostly, me to go I think first? It's be Aston Villa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be Aston Villa myself, and I hate to say that because my brother, my brother down in uh, Florida is probably going to hit, uh, send me a text not long after this, uh, uh, getting out my case about that. But I think uh, Villa and Fulham had off the field issues as well. So I, I just I don't see I see Villa going down as well. I still think I, I Sunderland unless something unless they all of a sudden turn it 180 degrees are going to be safe with the way they're playing lately, and I still think uh, uh, Felix Fikak can keep uh, Fulham up as well. Okay, should I go now? <laughs> of course. Yeah, go okay. ahead, Russ. 
All right, you, all right. Well, well, listen, this is, this is obviously a very difficult situation for, for me and, and for my club, Fulham. And, and uh, I'm under, you know, I'm under no, you know, listen, I understand where they are. I understand the situation at hand. Um, Matt brought up two teams that I think uh, it's going to be one or the other. I, Villa is still in it, Keith, and Villa could be yes, the – Yes, they are. Villa could be there because I don't think Villa, I, Villa might not win or might not might not get another point. So Villa is still involved. If you're asking me, yes. I, if you're asking me, the odds are more that it's going to be, be be between Fulham and Sunderland. And the way I see it working out, listen, Fulham need in my book they need to they need to win both matches. They need to go to Stoke and win at Stoke. And and the only thing that gives me a glimmer of hope that they can do it was one. They're able to go to Aston Villa on the road, a place that they've never have, they haven't won in I don't know how long. They're able to pull that off. They're going to go to Stoke. Stoke not having Robert Hoof. Stoke not having Ryan Sharcross. So again, there there could be an opportunity, and they have won before at Stoke, but it's going to be very difficult. And they finish with Crystal Palace. They they really they need to win both matches. So so again, it's a tough task. Can they do it? Yes, uh, I'm not giving up until the bitter end. It, unfortunately for Fulham, it's going to come down to help, and that, and, and that is going to be Sunderland. Um, I need help from your club, Keith. I need Manchester United to destroy Sunderland. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not just beat them, destroy them, because I need right, their – Why, because goal I, difference might come into play at some point. What? Well, no, well, well, to be honest with you, our goal difference is, is, is forget about it. So, so it's not about goal difference. It's about, for me, with Sunderland. Because, again, Sunderland really, they've surprised me. They're hanging in there. And they're actually in, a dec- in decent shape right now. But they have to go to Manchester United. They're going to be playing three matches in eight days. And that, to me, is the key for them. If they lose at Manchester United, they have two home matches, but they got one against West Brom. They're not safe yet. They're close, but they're not safe yet. So that's not a given. And then, then they finish up with Swansea. Again, two home matches. But, the, but, but for, for Sunderland, if Sunderland, get, if Sunderland draw in these two matches, Fulham, I think, will stay up. If they win one, it's going to be difficult for Fulham. If they win two, forget about it, but... But again, I mean, yeah, this, this is all this is all about Fulham got, winning two yeah. matches, and they, yeah, you know, you've got the you've got the advantage of Aston Villa. They've got to go. They have to play at Manchester Manchester City and at Tottenham to end the right. season. That's not, to get anything out of either of those two is a very tall order, especially the way they've been playing lately. They got stay at home this weekend, but. You, 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 so that's that's they absolutely have to have three points out of that. If they get that to get a point, either at Manchester City, which is still going to be chasing the championship, and and, and at Spurs, that's tall order. That is a very tall order. No, that's for, a very uh, good point. Listen, Villa. it's a very and, good and, point, and, and that's why you know. And again, that's why Aston Villa, the entire you know, the owner and the manager Paul Lambert, to be tossed. Yeah, listen. Listen, Aston Villa is a little bit in disarray, and if they don't get something from the Hull match, they are they are smack dab in the middle of this. So again, what what makes me crazy about this whole situation for my club is that yes, we need help. We we need things to go their way. Not only do they have to win, but we need help from other clubs. It's a it's a very difficult situation. As I've said, I'm in it to the bitter end. 
I don't know how it's going to turn out because I could say the same thing from from what is going to happen at the top of the table. This has been a crazy season. Just when I think Fulham are safe, they're not safe. Just when I think Liverpool look like they're going to win the league, Stephen, something happens, you know, against against that other club in Fulham. You know, there are other twists and turns to this, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know, you know, I don't know how Sunderland are going to respond once they play Manchester United. That that will be a key match, and, and Fulham going down to Stoke. I think we'll find out a little bit more on Saturday where, where this thing all shakes out. And, of course, of course with Holland, Aston Villa. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, it's going down to the wire. You know, for a neutral, it's got to be great. But for a fan of Fulham, it's, yeah. it's terror. It really is. It's terror. Yeah. It's been... I've had I've yeah, had difficult Paul, Paul I've had Lambert, difficult Paul shows Lambert. to do. Fulham were up two nil guys two nil, yeah. and and they give up a freak goal and then of course the second goal is coming right after that and they end with a two two draw. If they win that match, guys, I'm telling you, they're probably going to stay up. But they draw and that changes the complexion again. And uh, it's it's been a yeah, difficult that two season. Point, that two points lost is is are huge. It's huge. It, uh, you know, Paul listen, listen, it's yeah, huge. Paul. It, it's it, it's huge. And 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 do I think do I think Fulham are going to be you know are going to stay in the league? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I just hope that they do. That that's sort because I know, I feel well, it's going to come I, down to you. You just brought Aston Villa into it, but I still think it could be yeah. Sunderland. And Fulham and, and and whoever wins will stay up. Well, that's well, you know, Fuller free fall. There's off the field issues too. There's been talk about Randy Lerner possibly selling the team. Paul Lambert has come out and said this Saturday's game against uh, against uh, Hull is a cup final in effect. And also, it's a crazy uh, it, it's a crazy situation at Villa. They they, sure they literally have gone into free fall. Yeah, and they also. Uh, the, the the story the story of the uh, from John Percy of the Telegraph saying uh, there's a lot of guys including Christian Benteke and Gabriel Agbonlahor facing pay cuts uh, if they're relegated. This is something Villa started doing a few years ago, which is it's a fairly common practice uh, around the Premier League. You drop down to Championship, players get pay cuts just like players have clauses in their contracts saying, hey, if we get relegated, we can get the heck out of here. So. Uh, there's a lot of off-the-field stuff going on that I think compounds yeah. what's been going on on the field for Aston Villa, and that's what makes me think that they're the third team that's going down. Well, that techie would be real fun at Liverpool, to be brutally honest. <laughs> it would be real fun. I would take them as a third real quick. Liverpool, need, Liverpool needs a third and fourth striker in the worst way. Um, I, I personally hope, and maybe, maybe I'm being just naive, I want Aston Villa to go down because I heard those rumblings that they are the they are the chosen team of the crown, and you know where I'm going on that one, Keith. Oh, um, oh yeah, that's true. So yeah, you know where. No, I'm I going understand. On that. No, I understand where you're going. Oh, yeah, because we're not racist. We're not racist. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's not it. I will explain that to you, man. Off off of off of here because I, I don't want I don't want to poke Keith too much. I, I got a question for, for on phone for you, Russ. Sure, Steve. Why do you take Why do you take this long for McGath to come in? That's the thing that's never got is okay. never got to. Why wasn't he? You want me to explain? You want me to explain how, how this whole thing happened? Why, why wasn't he appointed when Yole was fired? Because he should have been. McGath, yeah, McGath is a hell of a manager, and he gets yeah. the end of the year. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, listen. What part part of what happened is is again when you're a new owner, when you're a new owner, you are going to learn. And uh, I'm telling you that uh, that Shah Khan has has learned a great deal about about being an owner. Guys, um, I got to drop off for just two seconds. I'll be right back. Sure. Thank you for a lot of managers. Sunderland has scored eight goals. Yeah. Two against Manchester uh-huh. City, two against Chelsea, and four against Cardiff City. So going yeah. just they, by the form alone, you think Sunderland's going to do all right? I mean, they're playing Man United. Yeah, whatever. You know, whatever they're playing West Brom. Whatever they're, they're playing Chelsea City. All teams that not necessarily say they don't have integrity, but nothing really to play for. They're not going to Europe. You know, so they're also not getting relegated. Whatever they've been serving uh, at the uh, at the training, whatever they've been serving at Sunderland for breakfast these last couple of weeks, I need to buy it because it's been it's been something to see. Speaking of managers, I found this one rather interesting from uh, Sky Sports. Uh, Gary Neville, who does pundit work for them, said that that even though the Newcastle supporters, and I was really hoping Ryan would be on for this one, uh, but uh, the Newcastle supporters want Alan Pardew out. But Neville says uh, he's. Um, that he's, uh, he says, I'm quoting here, he hasn't done a bad job of what have been circumstances where not a lot of people would have done better. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, Ryan has made it pretty clear he's not very terribly fond of Alan Party. The Toon Army certainly wants him out as well. Um, it, we've seen Newcastle do better in the league in the past. <clears throat> certainly the most clubs that could get into a position where they can contend for a European place. So, I just found that I just found it from Gary Neville would be a rather interesting uh, statement to make. Guys, just let, just to let you know, I'm back. I'm sorry about that. Okay, Russ, back to Felix McGath there uh, in the full managerial job. Sure, sure. Well, well, like I was saying again, uh, um, Felix McGath came in obviously very late into the season, and one thing. One thing going on is that Fulham are dealing with a new, a new owner who's learning the league and, and being advised. And they brought in Rennie Muenstein, like you know, Keith, you know, again, to help out Martin Yol. And uh, then they had the awful results against West Ham, and they made the change. And instead of taking their time to, I guess you could say, find a new manager, they realized that they had someone already there. So they went, I guess you could say, maybe they went the easy way, the you know, the, the safe way, and go with someone that was already there. So they went with Rennie. Even though Rennie, Rennie did not have that type of experience yet, in the Barclays Premier League, neither does Felix, but he didn't have, like, all this managerial experience. When you're dealing with a relegation battle, you kind of need someone that, that, ha- that has handled a situation like this or, or really yeah, has. Yeah, and Felix saved a couple of teams in Germany from going down. He has. That was the big thing. That's the has. big reputation he had. And but Rennie's downfall, Keith, Keith, we've talked about this before. Rennie's downfall was not Rennie. It was actually, in, in my mind, it was Alan Kerbishley and Ray Wilkins, Wilkins being appointed along with him because, because there were three voices he wasn't, he wasn't the lone voice in the room. They're all sharing responsibility in a way, and he was listening to other people, and he wasn't making his own decisions. And, and this all came out after Rennie left, that, that this is part of the problem. It was the three cooks situation where there were too many voices, and Rennie, 
Rennie had a good plan to start with, and then all of a sudden he started changing things, and, and he started changing things just around the time when, when Kerbishley and Wilkins joined. And, and, and again, that was part of the problem. So, so then they made the dramatic move to bring in McGath, and they should have done this in the, I, I want to say, when they hired Mullenstein, they should have hired McGath right away. Because, because what Felix has done, Felix is an accomplished manager, but, I mean, he's a cerebral manager. He actually really, he's like a chess, it's like he's playing chess, and he, he's like trying to, he's trying to outthink the other manager. I mean, he's really thinking this thing through and trying to counteract what the other manager is doing, and, and, and he, makes, he makes many changes during the match. He changes the lineup, he changes the formation, and he really has been a breath of fresh air in a very bad season. And, and uh, if Fulham don't stay up, I think, I think they actually found the right manager to push them forward uh, eventually because Felix McGath is the real thing. And, and I know, and, and Keith, you'll understand this. Do you know who he reminds me of? You're going to laugh your head off. He reminds me of Bill Belichick. He does. I was, because, well, see, I, because was about he, to, I was about to make a similar reference as you. You do a New England uh, Patriots podcast as well. I what can't imagine the guy wearing a hoodie. I just can't I'm see you, it. No, you, what, no, hey, Matt, you would. He's, he's, Matt, he's, Matt he's, I, I'm, he just, that. I'm just telling you that, that the, one, the one interesting thing about Felix is, again, you know, coming off of Rennie, and nothing against Rennie because I think Rennie someday could be, could be a fine manager, okay? But, but Rennie's decision-making in, in match was, was just not up to par. So far, Felix's in-match decision-making, um, you know, being able to make the changes on the fly is, is, really, is really superb and has actually, I think, been a huge factor of why Fulham are still where they are. I'm talking about that that they haven't been relegated already. I mean, I mean, at least he's got them into position to possibly stay up. I don't know if they would have been able to do that with uh, with Rennie Mullenstein. So to go back to the original discussion piece, Stephen, I think this goes down to really having a new manager listening to being advised by certain people and. And then uh, they realized it was getting late and that they needed to make a dramatic move. They learned from their mistake with Mullenstein. They didn't feel that Mullenstein would be the man to keep them up. So they changed it, and they went with someone that has proven to save teams from relegation. Yeah, and I, I was about to say, that, you know, in American football, you know, what, what's, the old, what's the old saying? A team that has two quarterbacks has how many? Zero, okay? And I think you make a very good point about the – the the influence of having Kerbishley and Wilkins there to make decisions as well, and that kind of thing doesn't work. And you when you you mentioned Bill Belichick, you know, he's the guy, he's the voice, he's the one. Right, who he, makes things right, go. he's the lone voice, uh, Keith. Right, and that was the problem with Rennie, and, and, and it's funny that, because you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, see, see, you know, Belichick learned that stuff. For Bill Parcells, because he does things right. the same way, admittedly, admittedly, a lot louder and a lot more cursing, admittedly, but it's the same kind, it's the same kind of thing. And you know, people don't realize you know, in, in football, the, it, a manager's in-game ex, uh, uh, in-game effect on a match is a lot more limited than it is in the sports here. You hear coach, coaches and managers they can call timeouts. 
They can make all kinds of personnel changes. Guys can go in and out all over the place. There's a lot more input they can have. On, you know, and some, some don't always take advantage, and some do, Bill Belichick being one of them. But you know, in football, the manager's influence is largely done in training, on the training grounds. Uh, you know, you, he's only got three substitutions, obviously. Right. Uh, you know, he can call for he can call for guys to change a formation or move to a different position or whatever. But you know, the the play, it, it's hard to do that because he's got to yeah, he's got to yell twenty thirty yards across or he's got to relay through a couple of guys. It's very very difficult for a manager to make in game adjustments in football. And that and, and you point out, Russ, this is what Felix McGath does. And that's, that's exactly what he, he does. He, yeah, he understands. Yeah, he, he understands better than most how you know, and this is a quality we how many times did we see Sir Alex Ferguson make these kinds of changes in terms of uh, in terms of substitution? You, you, you know, perfect example: the nineteen ninety nine European Cup final. You know, with uh, uh, Solskjaer getting the, the the winning goal, the two substitutes, uh, Solskjaer uh, getting one of them getting the goals that won them the cup. It, it, it's hard to do. It is very hard for a manager to influence a game, a match, during the match. It has to be a lot of his work has to be done uh, in training. Now, if we could switch over to MLS for a few moments, uh, David Beckham is suddenly running into problems. All that uh, schmoozing of politicians and big wigs is suddenly running into a couple of brick walls. Uh, a group uh, headed up by... Uh, People who run Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines and Norman Brayman, who's a zillionaire car dealer down in South Florida, have been uh, taking out ads and putting up videos on YouTube, trying calling for the Miami Seaport Alliance, trying to block the stadium that Beckham wants to build from being built at Port Miami. Um, they they see it as a risk to associate uh, the op of the cargo operations that go on there. there. Royal Caribbean's cruise line, you know, their base of operations is right there as well. Uh, the video that they put out, it's on YouTube. Just go we'll put it in Miami Seaport Alliance. You can find it. It's only 30 seconds. They bring up how uh, you got, you have, could have potential security problems here as well because, obviously, you know, as we've seen since 9-11, you know, uh, a port like this that carries cargo in, in, as well as a pleasure craft can be a potential terrorist target. And another thing, but the interesting thing I think they bring up here, with the very beginning, they talk about does Miami need another stadium deal? They don't say if I need, but it's clearly a reminder of what happened with the Florida Marlins and how that you know, this slime ball Jeffrey Laurie was able to you know use the city and Miami Dade County as an ATM to line his own pockets and get this boondoggle of a stadium built for a team that hardly anybody goes shows. To shows up to. Now, Beckham has said from the beginning, he's not asking for taxpayer money to build the stadium. You know, we'll, we'll see if he holds to that. But it, it's clear, and, Beck, and even Beckham and Don Garber have said you know, it's only one of the options they're looking at. But this is... Beckham, and you I have enough money behind him to do that? Enough money behind him to finance a stadium? Well, let, let, that's what he, that's what he said. He, again, all I know is what he said. The press conference: We're not going to ask for money to build the stadium. Apparently, Marcello Claire, uh, I believe he's Venezuelan. I guess he has the money. I, I hopefully he does, and hopefully they don't ask for taxpayer money. But 
But as I said before in the show, you know, forget about Claw Ray or anybody else who might be involved in this. David Beckham is the face of this. You know, until they kick that first ball, this is David Beckham's franchise. That's how everybody sees it. It's why he's been the guy out there, you know, working, you know, working the politicians, doing the lobbying, getting out there in public, and everything else. Now, Don Garber uh, said that the you know, he's you know he's got you know he's got time to do this. It's not. He says it's not open ended. Although I don't buy it. I think if they, I think that Garber would be very willing. This is my personal opinion. Nothing more. I think Garber would be very willing to let it wait another year to 2018 if that's what it takes. Because I know he wants Beckham back in as an owner. And I don't fall. And again, I don't fall into thinking that way. But you know, could could this be? Could this, is this just a minor inconvenience? Uh, and make him say, okay, I'll go someplace else. Or could this be a real problem for him going forward? You, you know, I, I'm sensing a real problem. I, I railed against this on this show and, and uh, Ruben's show a couple times. I'm, pro- I'm interested with um, Matt on this because he has to put up with the real fun that is Chivas on a daily basis. <laughs> is that I, I, I'm sensing a theme with Garber is that he's racing to, to grow the league so fast that he's ignoring a lot of things. I, I have no problem with the Atlanta bid in that there is a stadium there and that they are actually blank is going to put the blank is going to put the in the new stadium, which is fine. But look at NYCFC; they're now thinking of outside of the borough. So in reality, what it's going to be is NYSFC. They, they have no idea where they're going. And they're, playing, they're playing at Yankee Stadium for three years. That's just well, if, the, if, if New Jersey, If New Jersey FC can build themselves in New York, what's the difference? Because they were trying to market this. Because this is, this is what NYCFC is. Because they couldn't, they couldn't extort the money out of the cosmos like they wanted to, so this is their. This was their. Oh crap! We actually got to. We actually got to do a team in New York City type thing. That's what the. I have. I don't have a fear. I, I, was I don't have a bad feeling about Miami as a lot of people do. I just get the feeling somewhere down the line we will figure this out with Beckham, and because he's just a safe enough owner as of right now. I mean, I'm not putting any. I'm not putting any hopes into any player anymore because God knows what will kick up later on. <clears throat> Something will get Matt, done in Miami. Jump in. Uh, uh, Ryan Seelock, is that you? Yes, and I am in my car, so if you can hear me, I'll switch over. Yeah. I can hear you. That's fine. No problem. Uh, we're talking about Miami and uh, MLS and suddenly the road <laughs> So we're talking about some of the roadblocks that are potentially being thrown up in Beckham's uh, plan to build his stadium at Port Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of four, one of four uh, possible sites. And uh, uh, the mayor of Miami-Dade County, uh, Carlos Jimenez, uh, said yesterday that, uh, that he, as of right now, there is no concrete recommendation pending as far as uh, talking to the county commissioners as to where they're actually going to put this. So, you know, it's still up in the air. They're looking. There are other possible sites in play. But I'm just wondering you know, if he doesn't get it put at Port Miami where he clearly wants it to be done, 
uh, is this just a stub? Is this just a minor hurdle, or is this a possible? Uh, is it the start of something that might prevent him from getting this done uh, prior to 2017? Um, I mean, it's tough to say. In my opinion, right now, I, I guess I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, yeah, certainly it's, the time's going to go by quicker, but David Beckham does have some, you know, have some pull and. Now, maybe it's a good thing that you have three or four venues or sites kind of fighting for for that, you know, try to get the best deal. I mean, that's one of the, you know, downsides with the fire, you know, one of the big things that we can't really get around or out from under from is where the stadium is located. So, in the end, I think it could be a good thing. I mean, if you get a good deal on the table, you can shop it around and say, well, hey, if you really want me here, you're going to have to beat this. Um, now, granted, if we're at this time next year, still an impasse. I think it's going to be a major issue just because you know, by the time you get all the zoning and construction done, I mean, that takes a while. You have to make sure you do it right. You don't want to slide into it backwards and then you know, take the first half of the season or the first full season just ironing the kinks out. Um, so I don't think there's an alarm yet, but, you know, if, if something's not concrete going into the winter, I would definitely worry if I was him. So I guess the one big advantage they have is being in Miami. They're obviously they have a greater window as far as construction time. It's not like you know somewhere up here in the north where you can't do a whole lot of a building in the in the winter time. Uh, I I honestly think, and I, I mentioned this previously, I really think if if they have to play a year at you know Dolphin Stadium or Florida International University, which are a couple of places I've been talking about previously at separate homes, I don't think that'll be an issue for MLS. I really don't. Uh, even, even two years, I think. I, I just think I think Don Garber is willing to do whatever has to be done to make sure David Beckham ha- is an owner and in MLS and part of MLS. And again, I don't fall the board. I do the same thing. Uh, I just, like I said, I just wonder about you know this snowballing. Now, as far as Atlanta is concerned, now I know they've got the stadium deal in place. They're going to build it. The Falcons are going to move in this place in 2017. I know that seems absurd to get out of the state. It's only 25 years old. At least will be by then. But that's another discussion altogether. But I just, first of all, you're dealing with another situation of uh, a a, a team having to play on a rug, a football rug, not a soccer rug, mind you. And... And I, t- I was hoping I'd get Russ in on this one, but because I, I, my my honest fear, and I'm sure Arthur Blank would, sit, if he was sitting right here, would tell me, no, 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 it's not true. But my honest fear is this club could become New England Revolution South, and that uh, you've got an owner just he's got it, he's got him in his own stadium. He doesn't have to build his own place. He's got the football team to bring all the money, and not really care about what the soccer team does. That's just. Again, just my purely personal opinion, nothing more. Yeah, I mean, that definitely could happen. It's, you know, obviously I'm not a Revs fan being a Fire fan. Uh, They're not well-liked, but, you know, it it does suck to have a a poor or unpopular or absentee owner. God, I I should know that by now with all the teams I've picked. But, uh, um, you know, hopefully that wouldn't be an issue. I mean, I think Atlanta will be a good place. Um, for a team, yeah, certainly if done right. I, I, I'll i admit I don't know much about Arthur Blank outside of football. You know, I mean, if he takes interest anywhere near what he does with the Falcons, I think it'll be good. But, you know, I think that's going to be a risk. You, you're going to take a lot of the time because 
you know, most of the owners, obviously, in MLS, it doesn't require as much of a financial commitment as MLB or NFL, NHL, whatever, NBA. Um, but, you know, most of your guys that have that much money to throw around, especially if they're American businessmen, most of them, you know, grew up around the traditional American sports. So soccer could be a secondary thing. You know, again, if you can find someone with the money that's a soccer fan, great. That's not always the case. So I think it's going to be... Um, a concern anytime you have an ownership group or person um, that is invested heavily in another team like Robert Kraft. I mean, you know, even if the Revolution, you know, had 15, 20,000 people a game, his cash cow is going to be the Patriots, so it behooves him to make sure that uh, most interest goes towards that versus if you have someone that's, you know, an independent owner just in MLS they can focus their whole attention on it. So it's always going to be a risk, but uh, there's not a good way to tell until it starts. I mean, I think you'll be okay from what I've seen with NFL ownership, but uh, I could be wrong too. Yeah, I agree with you on the market. Atlanta is, you know, the the soccer is growing in Atlanta. The Silverbacks uh, have got a following down there. I'm, I'm not terribly concerned about the market necessarily. It's just, you know, Atlanta as a city, though, it, you know, it's give you know, the tag that was applied to it was back in the late seventies, early eighties, losers will USA because he he has been successful. And if you take away that amazing fourteen-year run of the Atlanta Braves in the nineteen nineties and two thousand, the teams have not done all that well. So the, the Atlanta Hawks have never even gotten to the NBA Finals. Uh, the Falcons have been to one Super Bowl. Uh, you know, we see two, two NHL teams leave, although the one was awful that one. Super Bowl. That was uh, the worst Super Bowl ever. I just want to say that oh, was the worst I, Super Bowl ever. Terrible Super Bowl. <laughs> now I'm, I, I'm skeptical. I, I, I'm skeptical of Atlanta because you know they only have the Silverbacks there, and they're rolling right over them to put in this MLS franchise with Arthur Blank who we don't know what he's capable of doing. And I'm skeptical of Miami, too. They've had soccer down there, and it didn't really work out. The only team in the southeast that I'm actually feel comfortable with is Orlando City, and they've built it organically. They didn't just uh, put – I mean, they earned the MLS franchise. They didn't have it because of, you know, having a nice favorable contact when they came to the league, and they didn't get it because, you know, they have their connections to Home Depot or the Atlanta Falcons. So um, I'm yeah. not surprised – to hear about Beckham, and I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm one to move forward, I probably will be. I'm just a land thing I'm pretty uncomffortable about. Yeah, I, I, I have said before, I, I think going to Miami is, is a gamble at best because of what's happened there before. So you get, other than the last year or so of Miami fusion and MLS, they never have drawn much of anything for soccer. You can go find a list of soccer teams as, as, as long and inglorious, certainly. Uh, and, and the other thing that, is that George Will said it best, you, you, nobody has ever gone to a professional sporting event of any kind to see the owners. You know, they, they, people, the people in, those, in the stands, wherever they end up playing, they're not going to be looking up at the owner's box for David Beckham. They're going to be looking at the field and what's out there. And it, sure. it's, you know, I th- it's an iffy proposition. I certainly agree with you there. Matt, that Orlando is much more deserving 
Uh, and I had said before, if you had forced me to make a choice between Atlanta or Miami, I'd choose Atlanta. Uh, so that I think mm-hmm. the market, as far as the marketplace is concerned, they have a better chance. Uh, I do hope that uh, that Mr. Blank does take it seriously because I think it could work well. I, you know, the, the thing is, as far as yeah, I, the stadium thing is 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 an issue for me. It's just, but it's the same situation with Robert Kraft. I own the place. I already have it here. There's no incentive to build a soccer-specific stadium, and that's the price you pay when you bring in an NFL owner. And I know a couple. Pe- I know a couple people. Uh, you know, brought this up on Facebook. Uh, down in Cincinnati about how one of the things, and this was, I believe this is true in Cleveland as well, that those stadiums were built with a field big enough for soccer. So the Cleveland hosted a couple of U.S. national team matches uh, recently in the new Cleveland, Cleveland Brown Stadium. And you know, looking at for what I've seen of Paul Brown Stadium, they became home hosting it as well. Of course, the difference there is, as long as Columbus is in MLS, there's no way Cleveland or Cincinnati is getting a team. But, you know, that's the thing. Obviously, an NFL owner has the money. There's no question about that. But that's that's the risk you're taking, though. If they want, if they decide to go the the, the route that uh, that Mr. Kraft, Mr. Blank, and so and Mr. Allen did up in Seattle, say, hey, I already have a stadium. Why should I build another one? Yeah, it's now admittedly Seattle is different. They can have, they can fill that place, and they do on a regular basis. That's 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 not the issue there. You know, you know, obviously the issue for the players is the playing surface, which, as we've talked about before, you know, the artificial turf for football is not the same as artificial turf that's put down for soccer or certainly not the same as some of the hybrid surfaces that are used uh, in Great Britain and even and across Europe, which FIFA has approved for use where it's a common – and it's used mostly in places where they have a rugby club there as well. I believe Hull City is one of those – where there's some synthetic fibers, but it's still mostly natural grass, and the synthetic fibers are more like the natural grass blades in terms of being longer, uh, as opposed to American football uh, artificial the infill artificial which is shorter for a, a real short grass field. Because you know, speed being the emphasis there, uh, because you don't have to, you, you don't have to war, uh, deal with the ball bouncing as much. So that's uh, but again the, the risk. And I, I point to my experience. When I was working indoor soccer in the mid-90s, you had the, uh, a summertime league called the Continental Indoor Soccer League with NBA and NHL teams running these summertime indoor soccer leagues, and most of them really didn't care that much. You know, they, you know interns were used um, you know, for, for uh, front office staffing, uh, for game day staffing, things of that nature. Tickets were you know, given away free to people who had season tickets to the NBA or the NHL club. Uh, it's, it just wasn't that... Uh, probably the best thing that came out of that was uh, was Andrew Shue making his professional debut with uh, LA United in that league prior to going and joining LA Galaxy for a couple of years. Uh, uh, switching over, continuing MLS on a little bit more humorous note. In what was it? This guy ties in with the food story with Danny Alves earlier. I don't know if you saw this one, but uh, Dominic Oduro of Columbus Crew. Uh, who's known for doing all kinds of funny things with his hair. He had a, uh, he put a black star on it one, on the side of his head one time representing uh, the Ghanaian flag. He's a native of Ghana. He had a, uh, a pink ribbon uh, hair uh, cut on the side of his head 
last October for the uh, as part of the MLS Blue Breast Cancer Campaign. He's for rainbow colors and, and a mohawk. But he did something that I'm waiting to see this catch on in other sports. He actually had a his hair cut and painted to look like a pizza on the side of his head. And he's got a, he's got a sponsorship deal with a pizza chain that sponsors the crew as well. In fact, last year, after scoring a goal, he went to a quarter flight, and one of those employees was there waiting with him with a pizza, which he took a bite out of, and then had the rest of the pizza passed along uh, to the rest of the crowd. Uh, I don't know if you saw that or not, but I see this as something that might be the next step in terms of advertising and marketing. Certainly, if you listen to a NASCAR driver interviewed, at, at Eli, or, or, or an IndyCar driver with, with May coming up here very soon, it isn't long before they start dropping sponsor names. And I just have to, I, I walk wonder, when are we going to see team sport athletes doing this sort of thing? And maybe this is step one. Now, maybe I'm paranoid. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is step one uh, in, in, that, uh, in that sort of uh, marketing. Certainly, uh, it's something that obviously... You know, you can't put commercials in a soccer game, of course, so uh, this could be another way to put <laughs> to backdoor a commercial into a soccer game. I mean, for me, I, I should say, you know, Oduro playing in Chicago, he was also kind of known for missing sitters, too. So uh, in terms of that, you know, the thing with most sports, you have jerseys, which already have sponsors. I mean, yeah, he painted his hair. I personally don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I got a chuckle. I wouldn't have done it. I think a lot of athletes wouldn't. But um, I think we'll see it more and more. I mean, if if you have ever watched boxing, I've seen a few athletes. Yes. You think like the temporary ink, um, like a henna tattoo, where they'll actually, you know, tattoo that will come off, um, you know, sponsors on their body because they don't have a shirt. It's easier. So, you know, I can see athletes doing that. You know, some people have crazy hairstyles. Like I said, I don't think I wouldn't personally do it myself. I don't have a big problem with it. I mean, especially in MLS where you know, even guys, you know, like Mike McGee, you know, for the fire, of course, you know, making a few hundred thousand a year, granted, I would take that in a heartbeat, but, you know, compared to an A-Rod or whoever, you know, making 20, you know, 10, 20, 30 million, it's a way to get extra income. And, you know, especially for the guys making, you know, what we make, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 a year, um, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I can see, obviously, tobacco is not going to happen, but, you know, once in a while people have had issues you know, if they put liquor on there, which personally I don't have a problem with either. But I could, I could see issues with maybe some of the content or, you know, with Newcastle, Wonga, they're kind of a loan shark company, which that's a whole another issue. I don't have a problem with that either. Um, so I, I foresee that being more of an issue as what someone's going to put on there that might be offensive versus actually doing it. I don't have a problem with it. Well, well, it's funny you mentioned with, with Newcastle, one that cropped up. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but one of the players prior to the season before when that deal was introduced uh, voiced his concern over that, saying he didn't feel 100% comfortable uh, doing that sort of thing. I'm just... It's just, you know, in this case, uh, like I said, it's, I just see it as being, you know, another step that really hasn't been explored yet. And, you know, as I mentioned, you hear, you know, race car drivers drop their sponsor names in all the time. And I just, I, like I said, I just wonder why you haven't seen that with the, mm-hmm. with the team sports when they do the interviews. Because certainly it's not, uh, 
it's not like it doesn't have you go, you know, any of the, you, you go to the press conferences, there's advertising banners behind these guys. I know with, with, in UEFA, they have some of these banners actually move. Uh, Russ, I know, is familiar with this year, the, the Patriots for their press conference post game. They actually have an, it's like an electronic board, and the, and the sponsors change as, as, mm-hmm. as, uh, as uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady spent five minutes saying absolutely nothing. <laughs> so uh, it's yeah, it, 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 it's something you know for soccer. It, you know, it's it's a, it's something you had you that's going. I'm sure going to be looked at uh, because again, you don't have you know the commercials, and that's the, the big difference. And it's it's something I've pointed out before uh, in terms of you know TV revenue. You know, soccer can't have the TV revenue of the other switch because you don't have the commercial time. And, and as I said, you know, even uh, John Hamm and Christina Hendricks from the show Mad Men could probably tell you that that 30-second commercial where the viewer can see nothing but the commercial has more impact than anything else. You know, add on the shirt, add around the, uh, around the field, add on the screen, add project on the field, whatever. None of that shit does as much as that 30-second of nothing but commercial. And if you don't believe me, mm-hmm. just look up Super Bowl ad rates, and you'll see what, what I'm referring to. It's... And it was funny. I talked talk about the uh, the, uh, the one local sports complexes here, uh, Sports Ohio, uh, up in Dublin, had a tweet uh, about this t- earlier today about how over one billion people will watch the World Cup this coming summer. And I couldn't resist uh, the little bit of a swipe there. I said, "Yeah, not one of them is going to be watching to see what the commercials look like." So, <laughs> so that was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I brought that up on Twitter before. I did a I did a week long thing where I, you know each day I said one, one reason why the World Cup is better than uh, even the World Cup draw is better than, than the Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah, this is the Yellow Carded Podcast. We've had uh, Stephen Brandt, Russ Goldman, and uh, Ryan Seahawk all dressed in at different times. Matt Hoffman is here with me now. I I know I I know this is going to make you uh, very very uh, mad, but I have to bring up Manchester United again. I found this one rather interesting. That Anders Lindegaard, who's the second choice goalkeeper of Manchester United, he likens Ryan Giggs uh, as the next Pep Guardiola, as manager thinks he should get the job. Now, admittedly, maybe he's a little bit flush with a 4 0 win, and I, I just cannot see in my wildest imagination Ryan Giggs becoming the permanent manager. Not right now, anyway. You know, three, four years down the road, who knows? Maybe you get some trading and stuff like that. But, but you know, I just, I just found that a little bit out there for him to say. Uh, but uh, looking at the uh, betting lines, it looks more. I mean, if you if you believe Sky Bet and the other betting parlors, uh, Luis Gaal is the favorite to get the job. Uh, there were denials today about uh, whether or not he's actually been contacted. No deal officially. Has been done, but Giggs is on. Says Giggs is on. jumped up to six to one. He's second choice now. Uh, if you were there, would you be willing to take that kind of crazy gamble and make Giggs the permanent manager? Matt, did I lose you for a minute there? I 
Hello, Matt, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, that's not the answer. Yeah, so what do you, would you be crazy enough to make Ryan Giggs the permanent manager of Manchester United, or is Lindegaard a little bit off there? Um, I mean, for me, obviously I know of him as a player. I say, you know, see how he does, and granted it's limited sample size. It's, you know, just a few games, but, uh, um, you know, there's got to be enough people around the club, scouts and whatnot, you know, just get some input from them. I mean, if he seems to be, you know, good, uh, man, you know, if he seems like he'll be good developing the younger players or um, if the player, other players are going to respect him, you know, which I think they would, um, you know, he's one of the higher renowned, you know, players. I think they would respect him uh, as a manager. Um, but, uh, you know, I've heard whisperings, you know, some of the players didn't, re- some of the senior players didn't respect David Moyes like they did Sir Alex, obviously. So, you know, right. give him a few games and see, uh, maybe do an incentive deal. You know, I, obviously he's going to want a longer commitment, but, um, you know, a couple-year deal where if something's really downhill, yes, you have a severance, you could let him go. Um, I don't see them doing that just because of what just happened. You know, I obviously they wouldn't need to consider this if Moyes had had, had a better track record, but I think they're probably going to be a little bit gun-shy and, hire who they think the fans are going to want to try to appease, you know, this failure of a season. Um, but uh, um, I don't see it happening, but certainly if he, you know, shows signs that he can handle it, I I think they should consider it. You never know when that guy you think, look at Sir Alex, they got him. Who knew he would be this legendary? So you, you never know when you might, uh, you know, you might be passing on the next great legend, so. Well, I think you make a good point about respect and younger players because certainly here in the next couple of years, especially this 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 coming off season, especially you're going to see some younger players uh, either being brought here and given more of a chance. And those in the system already certainly know everything there is to know about Ryan Giggs. They, respect for him would not be an issue for kids that are there. And certainly, even for his peers. Yeah, the respect is the issue. It, it, it's just it's a difficult transition to make that soon because he, obviously he's managing guys, you know, people uh, such as Rio Ferdinand, Wayne, Wayne Rudy, David De Gea, even uh, you know, uh, well Danny Welbeck and others who he's been a peer with. And this is something that, that I'm sure you, when we talked earlier about Steven Gerrard possibly what he's wanting to become the Liverpool manager. And certainly he might make a very good manager one of these days. But, you know, being a captain, being a leader among your peers is not the same thing as being their boss, especially if it hasn't been that long since you were one of their peers. This is the, the drawback. You know, you, it's, you know, it could be lighting up out. It could be Giggs who make a great manager. Uh, it, it, would they be willing to take that kind of a risk, as you said, after, after Royce? Who knows? They might well, the same thing you'd be going to try and true with uh, Luis Van Gaal. Uh, the issue there for me is similar to what happened last summer. David Boyce was appointed right away. He lost a lot of time in the summer transfer window. Same thing's going to happen with Van He's coaching Holland through the World Cup, and I'd say I do not see Holland going out in the first phase. It just isn't going to happen. So you figure he's tied up with Holland until at least early July, maybe longer. That limits his time in the transfer window, obviously. It limits time for what he can do as far as looking for people is concerned. So that that's my only concern that I have with him. 
It's uh, Jurgen Klopp has said repeatedly he's not taking the job, although Skybet is still listing him uh, as as thirty three to one at uh, tied for uh, fourth choice with Jose Mourinho. Believe it or not, <laughs> that Barcelona just added Carlo Ancelotti at eighteen was the third choice. He has said he's not interested either. Uh, so barring something crazy, you can write off Klopp and Ancelotti. I think Vidal's probably going to get it. Um, but it's something we talked about before the show that we don't, as much as Sir Alex is leaving, uh, as difficult as that was for the club, David Gill's departure obviously had just as much of an impact. And it was, I, I brought this up last week that somebody written on Sky Sports likening him to a general manager here in North American Sports. And really, in a lot of respects, that's what he was. And the fact that he, you know, he understood, you know, how what Sir Alex wanted to do, what Sir Alex wanted from a player, and was able to do the deals to get those kind of players cannot be uh, and now is really being appreciated in a way that wasn't during their time working together. And so the the question becomes now for for Real, can he be the guy who could bring in the players as well as as put together uh, the team that is needed to go out there and compete? Uh, of course, the advantage he's going to have is he won't have to worry about European football this year for the first time in a long time, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Manchester United were not in the Champions League, and we had talked about this earlier about what Liverpool are facing next year. And and it's funny, you look at Manchester United and Liverpool, since really, even going back to World War II, you've never had a time, a long, any extended period of time where the two teams were roughly even. It's usually been one up, one kind of down. Not not gonna be down like crazy relegation necessarily, but but down like uh, you know out of the European places to the middle of the table kind of thing. You've never, at least in my lifetime, you've never had that thing where you have Manchester United and Liverpool on roughly level terms battling for a top four place, a European place, or whatever. So you know the question is, assuming you know Van Gaal gets the job and assuming he you know, brings in a few new players. Uh, do we look at this year as maybe a one-year aberration, a one-year failed experiment, or uh, could this be the start of a, a drop-off where we do see them take five, maybe five to ten years to get back up to a point where they can contend for European place again? Um, I mean, that's a good question. Just going back really quick um, with the point of gigs, uh, Obviously, being a Premier League manager, for someone with experience, is really hard to throw them into, with no managerial experience, one of the most storied clubs in the world um, makes it even tougher. For him, the best would be, just like most managers you know, here um, in American sports, you know, start lower. Let him start in League 2 or 3. Get some, you know, even if he's played for 20 years, like, as you said, it's completely different to step across the touchline, put on the suit, and not play anymore and and uh, be as effective. So, you know, I I would think the best way would let him start lower and work his way up, gain some respect that way. Not to mention, um, to be fair to Moyes, I mean, Sir Alex left a pretty old squad, so it's a squad that needs rebuilding, which yeah. is a daunting task, again, for any manager, let alone someone who's never managed. Um, I mean, in terms of a downturn, I can see it happening if only because – you have a club just, I mean, look at the Yankees. They've been able to keep it up, but you have a club that has been successful for a couple of decades. Look at Liverpool. You know, the 70s, the 80s, they are great. They fell off. When you have a historic manager, 
and a run like they've had leave, you can't replace that, at least not easily, and it takes a while. Now, I don't oh, think, sure. obviously, we're worrying about relegation, but I could see them finishing, you know, mid-table or, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th or whatnot for a few years, which will obviously really make the fans mad. But you, you just can't continue to keep up a successful run like that when the guy that implemented it and was the figurehead leaves. You just can't do it. So I could see that yeah. happening yeah, until they find their next, you know, next next big manager, which could be never, could be a long time. Look at, Again, look at Liverpool, how long it's taken them yeah. to, to sure, get back yeah, to where you, they're you know, at. Yeah, you don't replace a Sir Alex Ferguson. You don't replace a Bill Shankly. You only succeed these people. And, and it's often said here in American sports, you don't want to follow the legend. You want to follow the guy who follows the legend. And certainly, uh, and this, I had talked about this a lot during the season, and I was vindicated by Franz Beckenbauer's comments saying, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson saw this coming and knew when to get out. And I think that's what, that's what he did. Uh, Certainly, he left it in the hands of a guy who he everybody thought could at least, you know, maybe not win the championship, but not have speech such a drop if they don't be, even make it into Europe, uh, because Moyes had a good reputation at Everton for being able to get the most out of limited resources. Uh, but again, the fact that he didn't have David Gill around, the fact that his time in the summer transfer window was limited. I mean, yeah, he brought in uh, Marilyn Fellaini, but Fellaini he didn't. That was pretty useless for the most part. Uh, he got Juan Mata in in the, in the January transfer window. I think Mata's going to be a big part of the squad next year. Uh, you know, obviously, there, of course, there's questions about about Javier Hernandez. There's been talk off and on for a couple of years now uh, about whether or not how how much longer he's going to stick around. Uh, certainly, uh, he didn't get. He got surprisingly little playing time this year when you consider all the injury issues that players like Wayne Rooney and Robin Van Persie had, especially. But he's he's never been one to rock the boat. He's never complained about not playing. And when he's gone out there, he's delivered the goods. Uh, certainly, I think long and hard before I sold him off uh, if I'm brought in. But, uh, you know, who knows what uh, Van Yall plans to do. I think, I think he'll be... He'll be good for the club, as you said. You talked about the respect factor, and I think this is a guy they're going to respect. Certainly, he's done he's done good things in the past to places like Barcelona. He's done well with with Colin the national team. Certainly, Matt Percy is going to be very very familiar with him. I'll play for him on the national team as well. So that's uh, but uh, that's we'll see those wheels start to turn here probably in a few probably not long uh, after the season starts. It's going to be a a fun run in both at the top and the bottom of the table. Uh, it's going. It's uh, it was MLS uh, now finally uh, heating up. Uh, Chicago are they? Nice thing they fi- I think they finally broke that uh, string of draws at long last. So in the one they were just going to play for draws the rest of the season <laughs> for a while. Were they five straight draws at one point? Uh, six, and it, actually we didn't play last week, so as of right now, uh, yeah. we're the only team other than Portland to not have a win, so uh, <laughs> hopefully it's going to come soon. We have Real Salt Lake and a uh, tough match. Uh, yeah, it's getting pretty frustrating, that's for sure. Yeah, Columbus has been similar, but they had a couple of disappointing draws, although last week's more disappointing being at home, it had you know, two twice 
uh, against San Jose as well. They had a halftime lead to let it get away on the road, especially out west. That's not a, necessarily a bad thing, although certainly after having that happen last year and having won just a week or so before in Seattle for the second straight year, you would have thought that the crew would have loved to have gotten the full three points out of San Jose, but did. But then to come home uh, against New Jersey FC and to lose a halftime lead, very, very disappointing, especially after the good start they have. But the, the crowds have been up there. Uh, they've been uh, certainly coming out uh, to Columbus Christie, and numbers just as big as last year as well. But uh, So as we were, we're wrapping up April here on the Yellow Carter podcast, uh, briefly talk about uh, next week uh, we'll have some of the usual uh, – cast of characters here. Steven will be back uh, hosting it as well. Uh, he'll be, I'm sure, gloating a little bit more about uh, about Liverpool. At least that's my thing. I still say I still say Liverpool are going to win the title. I don't care what. Uh, I know Jose says they won't, and I don't think they will, but he's... Uh, to write off Chelsea would be foolish, but I, do, I just don't see either them or Manchester City overhauling that lead, especially... Uh, if Liverpool do the business in their final two games, if they get those and get 86 points, I just don't see the others uh, be able to come up and uh, beat them. But uh, a couple of things we'll work on. One of those games is uh, against Newcastle. Yeah, true. Although Newcastle <laughs> is safe. That may, that's going to make a difference. We talk about these teams in the relegation fight uh, possibly having a factor. Newcastle, that's not going to necessarily be the case, although uh, – you could be looking at a manager trying to save his job. Uh, certainly a lot of people, as we talked about before, the Toon Army want him out, want, want uh, Alan Pardew out. Uh, it's been a tumultuous season uh, on a few different levels for Alan Pardew between the uh, what many people see as disappointing results as well as you know the, the touchline ban that he just finished uh, serving here last week as well. It's, it's been a trying season on Tyneside, uh so a lot of people think uh, a new manager is in order, but uh, that again we'll see the wheels turning on that one. Well, what has it been? Ten, ten Premier League managers half the half the managers that started the season got got the sack this year, I think was the stat. But uh, it's been it's been a crazy season. I don't know the Professional Managers Association talked about it as well. I think in the last somebody said I think it was Effin um, Koku was talking about it in one of the Premier League matches. Something I think the average tenure now for a Premier League manager is about 11 months. That's not quite a year. That's uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's as bad as managers as Yankees managers with George Steinbrenner back in the day. Uh, again, we're exporting some of our crazy American sports ideas. But uh, among other things coming up uh, here in the near future, we're working on uh, extending an invitation to Chris Rolfe of DC United. Uh, I'm going to see by getting him on the show as well next week. Going to take an interesting twist. Going to move down the uh, the ladder a little bit here to the National Premier Soccer League. Uh, it's a rather unique story, uh, a rather unique team starting this year. Upward Stars down in Spartanburg, South Carolina, playing their first season. They're going to be in the uh, in the South Region in the South Atlantic Conference with Myrtle Beach FC, Carolina, the Carolina Railhawks, U23 Club, and Gate City FC. Uh, we're going to have Paul Henson, their uh, manager from England, uh, who is going to be running the Upward Stars in this first uh, year. In the NPSL, it's a rather unique story. Upward, uh, it's part of Upward Sports, which is a nationwide uh, Christian youth sports organization. 
making foray into professional sports. Uh, it's something that, as far as I know, has never been done before. Uh, certainly, we see a lot of professional soccer clubs here in the state for youth clubs playing at lower levels or even playing as travel teams. Uh, we've seen the crew have a lot of success with their under-20 and under-18 teams at national tournaments. And uh, if he worked the other way around, uh, in at least one instance, Detroit Waza FC uh, in the professional arena soccer league was an outgrowth of the very successful Detroit Waza youth uh, soccer programs that the Secluda brothers, Dominic uh, Tito and Mario, have run in suburban Detroit for a number of years, and they've had some pretty good success in the PASL as well, winning uh, three straight division titles and the uh, Cup as well. So Paul Henson, the Upward Stars manager for the MPSL, will be joining us next week here on the Yellow Carded Podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Keith Kokinda. Thanks to all of our guests, Matt Hoffman, Ryan Sealock, Russ Goldman, and Stephen Brandt playing uh, the role of special guest guests. Again, he'll be back hosting the show next week at 6.30 p.m. United States Eastern Time. And, of course, you check out all of our archived podcasts as well as blogtalkradio.com forward slash YCP. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well, yellow carded, at yellowcardedpod, and follow me, Keith Kokinda, on Twitter as well. On behalf of all of our guests, this is Keith Kokinda for the Yellow Carded Podcast. Say goodnight, and we'll be talking to you again here on Blog Talk Radio a week from tonight. Thanks again.